So guys, welcome back to the show. I'm joined in studio with uh, former mixed martial arts fighter and now turned mixed martial arts nutritionist Yannick McGee or McGee. I, I hope I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> you pronounced the first name perfectly. Yeah, it's usually it's usually that one that people mess up. But no, you're good. Ah, how do you pronounce it? Your surname? Yannick McGee. McGee. Okay, yeah, McGee, yeah. I remember that. So, um, look, Yannick, I've uh, seen a contest and followed uh, followed it for a while. Um, but you're a bit of like a, a mixture of things. Um, it's like you're really, really well into the mixed martial arts in terms of you've kind of been in the cage yourself. You've been in that kind of spotlight position where you have to fight um, the opponent. So is that just preparing for the fight or helping coach the um, athlete for the upcoming fight? but you've also been there yourself. You've done it, but now you're kind of like, well, I say you're kind of like on the sidelines, but you're having proper, um, you're having a proper instrumental input into the fight's preparation for the upcoming fight. So, I mean, it's the first time of me speaking with you. Can you, can we start with like, you know, just your your background and how you gradually moved from that into combat sports and then mixed martial arts? Yeah, well, look, just like everybody else, just, you know, normal sort of upbringing, went to school, um, kind of didn't actually do very well in school at all, kind of bunking all the time, not going in, uh, left, got held back a year actually in fourth year, and then left school in fourth year, worked for a few years, and then gradually found kickboxing, Um okay done kickboxing for a little while, done Wing Chun, Kung Fu. had always really an interest in martial arts. I'd done karate and taekwondo and stuff like that when I was younger. Um, and they just sort of moved from the kickboxing to the Wing Chun and the gym that we were training in started getting interested a little bit more in MMA. It was only kind of starting out. It was around, but it wasn't nowhere near what it is now. So we started sort of dipping our toes and doing a bit of MMA and stuff and a bit of jiu-jitsu and things like that. And then it just kind of went from there. Um, I moved to Australia for a while, trained Thai boxing over there, trained a bit of MMA, went to Thailand and trained, came back, had my first amateur fight, came back to Ireland, had my first amateur fight, I think, 2008. And went on a wee bit of a run between 2008 and 2010. And it was C-class at the time, so it wasn't amateur or pro, it was C-class. Um, and then turned pro in MMA, done a couple of the pro fights in MMA and then moved over, transitioned to the Thai boxing. So I kind of fell in love with the Thai boxing after my second pro MMA fight and didn't go back to MMA, just stayed at Thai boxing then. So had a few Thai boxing fights, a few K1 fights and things like that. And obviously then through that experience of fighting like you know i think i maybe 20 odd fights or maybe a wee bit more between the two disciplines or the, the three i suppose if you can't care one um so i'd cut weight loads of times i had been around you know dieting and doing everything wrong basically but at that time i was i was training but i, I was just working dead-end boring jobs that were going nowhere and yeah. i think i can't remember what age i was I think it was like 26, 27, maybe. And I was like, I need to go back and do something with my life here. Um, so I went, done an adult access course in a local college tech thing. And then from that, I wanted to actually do physiotherapy and applied for physiotherapy 
didn't get in. There was a, an exam that you had to do, and it was just so hard to do. Um, so I applied for that, didn't get in, and nutrition was my second choice. So I gave it another year, tried physio again, didn't get in, and I said, like, you know what, I'll just do the nutrition because I was kind of interested in nutrition for years anyway. And yeah, just escalated from there. So I went to uni, done four years in uni, came out of uni, was working in a lab and stuff like that, and was kind of doing this on the side. Um, and then over the years, it's just progressed. So was 2016, I graduated. Um, and then just last year, I left the job and went full-time. So I've been full-time now since November last year. So yeah, it's going, going quite well. So that's oh, it. That's a bit of yeah. a background of how I ended up where I am today. No, that's uh, that's that sounds like an awesome story. I mean, it is coming more and more apparent now that people. Are, I mean, you see a lot on YouTube and on the shorts, everywhere else on social media. People realizing that actually the job that they're in, especially the especially the younger generation, is a dead end job. They know that really that in the eyes of their employer, they're just a number. If they quit today, or if they were sacked, fired. You know they'll be replaced easily, and it's pro- probably that's the reason why the job is dead end, and what the reason why the employer treats them the way they do. You're easily replaceable. Hundred percent, yeah. The, <laughs> that's the reason why. The place, the place that I was in is very much like that. You know, I, I, I toyed with the idea of like leaving and going full time with nutrition for, oh, for a couple of years, even a year before I left. I had handed my notice in, and then kind of panicked a wee bit and retracted it and stayed for another year. But it was the kind of place that there had been people there for twenty odd years, and they were they hated it. You know, they hated every bit of it, and their whole life had just been spent doing this one job. And you know, every time you spoke to them, they were like, "I hate this place, but it's all I know." And then I'm just here, and I was looking at that, and I was like, "You know what? I'm either I'm gonna either stay here and become that, or take a chance." and go out on my own and try this nutrition thing, see does it work. And I said to myself, look, you know what? If it doesn't work, then maybe I'll try something else or maybe I can just come back. At a comfort- it was a comfortable job that was pretty well paid, but it was just one of those jobs, as you say, like you're stuck in and you don't really want to be in kind of thing. So yeah, that was it. I just was like, you know what? Screw this and take a chance and see what happens. Like, so that's what has been going well so far. It's also a job that you didn't feel in your role, the tasks you had to complete, you didn't feel like you were challenged, like you weren't, yeah. like, say, given a problem to solve. Same thing, yeah, same thing every day. You know, you're just, it was Groundhog Day every single day, and you're doing the same thing over and over again. And, yeah, it's just one of those things, you know, you could just get comfortable and stay there or put yourself in an uncomfortable position and try something new and see does it work out. And if you don't take a chance, you know, you'll never know. So, yeah, that was it. You just had to give it a go and see see what happens. Tell me, um, before we started this uh, interview, this conversation, uh, you did tell me your age. And do you mind if I say? Yeah, work away. <laughs> you're 40 <laughs> years old, but you still look very young and fresh and very you. boyish. I mean, we're going into combat sports, why did you, was it the career so sure? I mean, even at your age now, there's still some athletes who, okay, fine, they're at that retirement age anyway. But I mean, in generally, 40 is still a young age. I mean, um, was there any particular reason why you retired? I so, started so, late. Yeah. I started too late. You know, I I think, as I say, I said that I, I was started uni at 26. I think it was actually, I started uni when I was 29. So I think I actually just started competing 
when I was 26. So I came into it quite late. Um, and I got a good run for a few years, you know. And I, I was I was doing it more for a bit of crack, a hobby, you know what I mean? To me, it was never about I'm gonna make a career out of this. It was never about that. It was just like all the boys were doing it, people I had trained with before, my mates of mine got into it, they were competing, and I was like, you know what, I want to do a bit of that, done it, enjoyed it, and enjoyed the whole experience of it. And it was never I turned to pro because I was like, I did the, at that time it was C class, there was no headshots in the ground, pro, there was headshots in the ground. So that, that was literally the only difference. And I think that the length of the rounds. So I turned pro not because I wanted to make a career out of it, I turned pro because as I could get the punch people in the head on the ground. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it opened up more of the game. And that's the only reason I'd done it. So then when I went to uni, I was just like, you know what, I'll try and take fights if and when I can it wasn't like you know you see people now because of the whole McGregor thing as well I think is a, is a huge part of it there's people there and they're they're putting their whole they're putting their whole life into it you know they're like yes yeah and it, you know it's I suppose now it's a far they're they are in a far better position where they actually can make a career out of it but when we were doing it people didn't really people didn't really like it you know it was only still kind of relatively underground as such and even like trying to get sponsorships and you would never have got sponsorships. People thought it was like human cockfighting. So yeah, that's why it was only a short thing because it was only more, more so just a bit of crack and a, and a hobby for me. Like it didn't really, I, th- I don't think I took it serious enough, you know, it's just something to do kind of thing. Do you feel that there is a difference between moving from being the fighter to now being the, the nutritionist, the coach that now you're, kind of um preparing the other person for what you were formerly doing i mean does it feel like now that basically you have changed roles do you actually feel that there is a, a difference now i mean do you even have any regrets um thinking well i wish i'd probably stayed in this a bit longer or are you happy with how things have um, progressed so far i wouldn't say like that i was i would be unhappy about how things went like in terms of with fighting um you've always got that in your head like oh maybe i should have fought more maybe i should have you know while i had the opportunity there maybe i should have put a wee bit more effort into it and, and took more fights and things like that um yeah it's not really and, and you've always got that you've always got that thing in the back of your head where you're like you know what i'd like one more fight you know it's all it's always there you're like oh maybe i could do one more um so yeah there's still that kind of aspect of it do i regret what I like not putting I don't I don't think so, no. Um it's much different now working with people and you know being the other side. But I think it really gives you the fact that I had fights and the fact that I went through what they what they're going through gives me a really good insight into, you know, what they're what they're struggling with, the, the, even their mindset and how they are and you know how what things make them tick and what things make them stress and things like that. So it does it gives me a very good insight, you know, in the I can relate to what they're going through because I yeah. went through it as well. And I think for a lot of my clients that I work with, they they kind of appreciate that as well. Do you know they, they're like you you know because you've been there kind of thing. So it, it, it helps you develop that, you know, a sort of connection with them a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, no, it's vastly different uh, than when I was fighting. Even how things are done now is massively different. Um I've got a I hope this doesn't come across as quite offensive, but yeah. your nutrition, your nutrition is mainly the nutrition that you um and your coaching, um, it's mainly geared 
excuse me, it's mainly geared towards combat sports, mixed martial arts in particular. Can I can I put it that way? Um, no, well, all like I work with, I work with Thai boxers, I work with ah. boxers, um, jujitsu athletes. So yeah, it's not really, it's not just central to MMA. Um, I I work mostly with MMA athletes, and I think that's maybe because there's more of it, it's sort of more ingrained in the culture of MMA now to start working with nutritionists. So they're a little bit more open to it. Um, but but I yeah, work with boxers, Thai boxers, everything basically. Yeah, it's not. I've worked with Taekwondo athletes um, as well, people that were competing in the world and stuff like that. So um, yeah, but the majority of my clients are MMA athletes. Yeah, not not just solely um, solely MMA, but mostly MMA. Because the question I was going to ask is. Is there is there a um, would you say a difference a fundamental difference between nutrition and coaching for let's say mixed martial arts because that's what you're particularly tied to and just ordinary fitness I mean the the business surrounding combat sports let's say in general is it say far more intense far more active than say just ordinary fitness yeah. you would definitely oh hundred percent hundred percent like um. There's so much more to it. It's so much much more complex because you know you have you you not you not only do you have the fact that somebody need or most of the time needs to lose body fat, they need to lose weight, but they also need to improve as an athlete in terms of their performance. So you know if a general person going to the gym, they're not really out trying to train like an athlete. You know they're just losing a bit of weight. So you can focus solely on maybe getting out that fat loss. Um, but with a fighter, you're trying to balance getting the weight down, but also improving their performance. And then you're trying to, you know, manage the stress and manage the 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 fact that they have to make weight. They have a certain weight to make. Whereas somebody January fitness, that you know, if they see a bit of weight coming off, they're happy and they're improving their health and things like that. But a fighter, you know, they have a contracted weight that they need to make. So there's just the additional stress of that for them as well. Also as well, there's the weight cutting process too. Um, so yeah, it's a lot It's a lot more complex, I think. I, I have worked with general pop people as well, um, loads of different people from weight loss to people trying to put on muscle and things like that. I think fighters specifically, is it, it's a lot more complex. There's so many other things that you need to be aware of and there's so many other things that um, you have to factor in. You know, you can't, I have actually clients that have come to me from other coaches who were like bodybuilding type coaches. Mm-hmm. And some of the stuff that they were telling me that the bodybuilding coaches were telling them to do, it, it's absolutely madness. You know, you can't transfer that over into a fighter because they were like cutting carbs out. They were like cutting their calories super, super low. Even their food was super restricted, you know, and there's a, there's a big thing with MMA athletes and especially, or not just combat sports athletes, where after a weight cut and after a fight, they tend to have a big rebound. And I suppose bodybuilders get it too, but you know, it, it just doesn't transfer over. It it's, it has to be very, very, you know, it's it is very, very different. I th- I think that because it kind of pushes me to another question. Um, if I can't in between to um tug of war, um. The diets of um, a lot of fighters, is it usually, I mean, do they make it calorie dense or do they reduce the calories? Because like you said, they're going to make sure that they keep the um, 
weight down or depending on the weight division but at the same time they don't want to deplete the energy levels too much because they still have to perform at the at the their best most peak performance when on fight day or fight night uh, which brings you on to ask has social media had like an impact on fitness because there is as now it's been happening for so long that it's not uncommon to see certain just because they look a certain way all these fitness models fitness influencers fitness gurus it's not uncommon for many of them to be deemed well you don't know what you're talking about you don't know what you're doing you only have this following because of how you look that you're you know you're, you're good looking you've got a, a wash a washboard abs etc etc so should you what, what do you mean like do you, do you think that is that like the influencer type people are they having an impact on how fighters are approaching their diet is that what you mean um well i think for fighters it's, it's kind of like, i think you guys will of course use already enough you have enough knowledge behind you that you know this is what i need to do this is what i need to avoid but in the, the in the broader sense you now have all these influencers who uh because they think they have such a massive following that they think people listen to them but actually in reality they don't know what they're talking about but they, because they have such a massive following unfortunately you still have a lot of um, a large herd of people still pay attention to what they're saying what they're doing yeah yeah i 100% agree yeah no, there is like i think there's a lot of influencers out there that people would listen to and and just because they have a big following think that they have an authority in what they're talking about you know obviously people assume more followers equals more authority so i think there is that there is that issue um you know, it, it can be very hard, especially with nutrition, to try and weed through the nonsense and try and actually, you know, find out like what is, like what should I actually be listening to? You know, I get so many, even with my clients, like, oh, here, what about carnivore di diet? I'm thinking of doing that because I heard Joe Rogan mentioning it or some somebody on such and such podcast or somebody on Instagram has said this about this kind of diet. What do you think of it? You know, keto or what do you think of it? This... So I think, yeah, the likes of all of those, you know, they do have a, I suppose that's why they're called influencers. They do have an influence on how people are looking at things. Um, yeah, so it can, it can be hard to weed through all that nonsense as well for a lot of people. Is it hard? No, it, it definitely does. I mean, is it harder now to, to um, stay in shape now i mean now we've got the internet and social media or was it easier before we had all of the internet because even say in the um where before um all the social media stuff we had i think the most uh, major combat sports we had if i can say and correct me if i'm wrong uh was boxing and i think back then people um when it comes to nutrition people were i think it was very was very basic you didn't it wasn't so let me say complicated or complex as it is now i mean people just ate the right things trained hard and did their best in the ring there i mean do you think now it's easier do you think now it's better i think it just depends on the person like i don't know if i think overall it's any easier or harder you know with i think it's maybe now because of so much stuff in social media and now because there's so many messages coming out it can be more confusing um you know but actually to actually you know the principles all the same proper principles apply you know if you know the fundamentals you know the right principles and you apply those you can get in shape you can you know you can do what you need to do and if you follow the science and what this what the bulk of the science says you're not going to go wrong I, I think it's more it's more confusing now because mm -hmm. there is so much 
snuff. Um, I think before in the past, you know, it would have been a lot of hearsay. You know, my friend told me this, uh, this works or that works, or I heard this down in the gym. But now it's, you have it on your phone and you can look up and there's 10 different people saying 10 different things and that's just frying people's heads. So I think, I think it's a lot more diluted. Like the industry is a lot more diluted, uh, diluted, I suppose is the word to say, and diluted. <laughs> there's a lot more nonsense being put out and there's a, there's a lot more mixed messages. So it's a lot more confusing now, I think, for people than maybe what it would have been years ago. You know, people would have been told, right, you need to eat well, eat quality food, eat a bit healthier, eat a wee bit less, move a wee bit more. And that that's what works, you know what I mean? That does work. So now it's gone, going down the whole thing. You need to avoid seed oils or you need to not eat fruit because fruit is toxic. And, you know, there's just all this <laughs> shite being put out there. Like, and yes, yeah. it's, so, it's so annoying. Like, you know, it's so bad. Um, So that's why people's heads are all over the place. I think, yeah, I think, I think social media and the fact that anybody can just go online and start saying something. And then if, as you said, if you have a big following, people are just going to lap that up. You know what I mean? You see that. I don't know if you follow your man, Dr. Ids on Instagram. Do you ever see his stuff? Okay. I, I'm not that good with names. If I see his face, yeah, I see yeah, a picture, probably I might recognize him. Yeah, always got the stethoscope and stuff, but he basically debunks, you know, other influencers. So, you know, there'll be somebody will put up and they'll talk about drink this drink or don't or they're in a supermarket and they're holding up a box of cereal and talking about how poisonous it is and he debunks them with science people like that are really trying to clean it all up clean the industry up but i think just it's just it's just so much so easy for somebody just to jump online and start spreading bullshit and then people look at that and then they're like oh such and such says this and such and such says that and you know then it then it gets harder and then I think because it's so confusing for people, sometimes they don't know what to do, so then they do nothing. Do you know what I mean? So it could be harder, maybe in that sense, yeah. Um, I'm gonna delve a little bit deeper, if deeper, if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, but you can it, tell yeah. me to mind my own business if you like. No, um, you're all good. You've heard of this? Have you heard of not that you heard, but have you heard of this fitness model called V Shred? Yeah, yeah. Okay, now. I've seen he does look in shape. He's a good looking guy. Um, he he has received a lot of backlash from the fitness community, especially in the US market. Yeah, um, as well, I think. But how is it that this guy? Um, I'm not having a go in, but how is it? He's just an example I'm using. How is it someone like him just continues to keep spouting what is perceived by a bulk of the fitness community, especially in the US? perceived to be very bad um advice but he just keeps on going and promoting whatever supplements or workout routines how do they just keep how do they get away with it basically because you would have thought if you're receiving that much backlash against something which is obviously wrong mm. maybe you should stop but he doesn't seem to i mean he doesn't well, this, seem to want to this is the thing you know people like v-shred and other people like him they're not driven by integrity. They're driven by money and they're driven by let's try and sell as much stuff as we can. And let's, it doesn't matter if I'm talking about shite as long as I'm getting sales and as long as I'm making money. So, you know, their main thing is, is marketing. You know, they're super, super good at marketing. Um, I, I think it was actually, I think it was Mike Israel. 
done a video if you see on YouTube and talked about V-Stray and he was talking about like all his follows and going over the information that he's putting out and he completely debunked everything that V-Stray was saying. But like they're so good at marketing, they're so good at selling themselves and there's so many people out there will still lap it, lap it all up. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's so, it's so crazy because you see somebody like him that has made, I don't know how many followers he has or whatever, but is making a fortune, probably a millionaire, um, so many followers, such a big, big platform, and has such a wide reach with, with his platform, and he's just talking absolute shit. And then you have somebody that's maybe like one of the top researchers in the world, and they've maybe a thousand followers, and they're like what they know is actually the knowledge is insane. But because they're not big into promoting themselves or marketing, and they're doing it, because that's their thing. They're into the science and they're doing it from a, a, a place of integrity. You know, they, they just do, do it like almost behind the scenes kind of thing, you know? Like there's a few people I know that are, are really, really high level researchers and really well thought of within combat sports nutrition and even just even the science community. And they've maybe a thousand, two thousand followers. And then you have somebody like him that has I don't know how many and making making millions. So it's yeah, it's it's crazy. I think it's all marketing, just marketing really good at selling themselves. That's that's what it is. Well, I think the problem is that in the long run, you're damaging well, you're damaging your image, but at the same time, aren't you hurting or maybe say you are not not not, but you're forging a bad reputation, but that at some point in future you have to answer for because people, you know, you may look good, but they may not trust what you say. Yeah. What do they care? As long as the bank, as long as their bank accounts yeah. going up and up and up, they don't give a shit. Like look at um, what do you call him? Oh, the primal guy. What do you the. You know the man. The kid, he was come out that he was taking steroids. I don't know why his name's gone out of my head. Um, big guy. The carnivore guy. So, and oh, I know you. Talk, I can't remember the, uh, his name. He was the, eating raw meat. Yeah. And flesh. Yeah. Oh my god! It's a the tip of my tongue. I can't even remember. Um, liver king. Denied taking steroids. What is it? The liver king or so. Liver king. Yeah, him exactly. Denied taking steroids, denied it, denied it, and denied it in so many shows and was selling his programs and doing all this and doing everything and then got caught out and done a stupid bullshit apology and just <laughs> went about his business yeah. again, you know what I mean? Uh, so just yeah. literally no, no integrity. So that's just what it's all about. Um, I do follow um a lot of the mixed martial arts events and fights that's happening here in the UK and in Ireland. Yeah. And one thing that bugs me is that a lot of these fighters are very talented. A lot of the promoters, they do put a lot of hard work in bringing these guys together and putting them on fight cards and making a successful uh, event uh, for people to enjoy. Um, but the one thing that does bug me is that the press here, the media, don't really give these guys the recognition that they deserve. As in some fights, I, I do watch them back on YouTube, watch clips, and um, I speak to the fighters, I look at the stories. And I'm very, very impressed by just how well the fights of fighters have performed, the knockouts, the takedowns, the ground game, the stand-up. But they're just not not really promoted as promoted as well as the um as say the fighters as say in the US. And you know, I don't 
I, I don't think it's um really fair that you know you you've got really good talent here on your so on literally your doorstep, but you're not promoting or giving them the exposure that they deserve. Yeah, no, I agree. Like it's um, I think it's just you know they maybe look more at football and they look more at those kind of things that are really sort of cemented in the in um in the culture over here. You know, whereas fighting it's as much as it is growing, it's still way behind the US in terms of like how accepted it is maybe in in society kind of thing over here as well. Um, but it it's it's definitely definitely growing. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Like I know amateur fighters, as I was saying back to when I was fighting, when you were fighting pro, you couldn't have got a sponsorship. You were paying for everything yourself. You're paying for all your training, your privates, your camps, the whole lot. Um, you couldn't have got anybody that did what they even get involved with it. Um, the fights, the shows were very much like, like a, I wouldn't call it underground, but it was, you know, if you were involved in it, um, you would go to it, but. It's, it's got bigger and bigger now, but I think it's a long way to go before it catches up with, with the US. So can you give just a brief, uh, unless you want to give, don't want to give anything away, uh, who are the current fighters that you are coaching at the moment and um, any um, dates when we sh- we can expect to see them in the fight cage? Um, well, that's, that's, I've been over over 50 odd clients at the minute. So I'll be here for a while now, <laughs> naming them Sorry. all. But yeah. um, I suppose some of the more well-known ones would be the likes of recent key that was fighting in the UFC there. He's from, from over here. Um, I have Derek Alley and more his top right now. So that's why his name okay. got. Uh, yes. Uh, Brian Moore, Daddy Magdalenean, who, who I've worked with for years. Um, uh, John Mitchell is another guy. He's fighting PFL. He's fighting for the... Uh, the lightweight he's in the lightweight final for the hundred grand in PFL now in December. So I've actually three people on that. I've um John is fighting in the final. He's main event in it. Then Andreas Binder um is fighting as well. And then Nate the Great Kelly. Um don't know if you remember him. He's the real he was when he was really young, the guy with a bit of a ponytail he, he at the press conference at the UFC he would have been sort of training with McGregor and stuff like that. So um He's pretty well known. Like, so the likes of the three of them is fighting all now in December. Of another few fights, fighters coming up in November as well. It's November, December is two busy months for us. Uh, but yeah, look, working with over 50, I think 52 in the books at the minute. Like, so yeah, it's 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 growing and growing. Um, but regardless, the level that they're at, if they're amateur, pro, you know, only start night, they all get treated the exact same. You know, I I treat all my clients the exact same, regardless of what level they're at or what what organization they're fighting in. You know, the because I know what it's like, as he said before, I know what it's like to fight. I know what it's like to mm-hmm. go through weight cuts. Yeah. So, um, doesn't matter if you're fighting the UFC or if you're fighting in your first amateur boxing show. You're you know, you need the support. You need that help the same way as anybody else does. So, yeah, regardless of who they are, or where they're fighting, it's they're all the same to me. So, and. Um- Last but not least, any shout outs you want to uh, to give? Um dunno. <laughs> no. Um no, not really, no. No. Like, I, I wanna mean like I, well, I don't have any sponsors or anything, so um No, but I mean you used to be a fighter. I mean anyone who maybe that, that you're coaching them that you want to at least just mention their name, that they're, they're gonna be fighting soon. Or anyone well, who probably yeah. Um 
Well, just suppose John Mitchell would probably be the big one, like him, Andreas, and, and Nate getting ready for Dublin. So, um, yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a big big night in Dublin, especially with John fighting in the final. You know, it's his I think it's his first time fight at home in so long, um, because he's been in Dubai, he's been fighting abroad a lot of the time. So this is his first time back home fighting. Um, so I'll be down helping them with their weight cuts. So. Yeah, really looking forward to that, and that's that's going to be a big one to watch. So those three fights that's on that show in, in PFL in Dublin is going to be huge. So it is. So please busy weekend that weekend. Please all the um the guys you you coach and all the names you just mentioned. Please send me the list. I'll tag them in the description and in the Instagram yeah. stories and the post. I say that was the last question. One last thing I want to get your opinion on. Tyson Fury, Fury versus um, Francis Ngani. What did you think of the boxing match, the fight? It wasn't very entertaining. I had been really? I thought it was good, but I expected more. I thought Francis Ngani was unbelievable, especially going against Tyson Fury. Um, I felt that Tyson Fury maybe held back a little bit, you know, or maybe he was cautious of, of Francis Ngani's power after he got dropped with the hook. So I think after the hook, maybe it was sort of a bit more standoffish, but I expected so much more. I thought um, Fury would have got you know stuck into him a lot more and it would have been a lot more exciting, but it was it seemed very standoffish, you know, for what, what it was supposed to be. So I suppose you get that sometimes with these big, huge fights that have, you know, all these expectations and they maybe don't live up to what you would expect. But, you know, I don't know. I just... Uh, yeah, just wasn't as blown away by it as what wow. I thought I, I was going to be. Some of the okay. fights on AFC on a Friday night or a Saturday, that's that's where you see real action. Like guys just standing in front of each other, battering the head of each other. That's that's what I like to watch. Wow. Like So, yeah. Okay, well, thank you for... I appreciate you No, um, I thought it was, well, because you're far more involved in the combat sports, way more involved in terms of being in the shoes of a fighter and being nutritionist, you know, much more closely um, tied together what's going on behind, even behind the scenes. So um, I thought it was entertaining, especially the um, the um, the knockout that, well, I call it a knockout, but uh, when um, Ngarni got um, Fury on the ground, not a takedown, but I think it was an open shot. I think... Um, the commentator said that Fury probably wasn't paying attention for that split second, and then Garni just took the opportunity. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, that's the one that gets you. Yeah, it's the one that you don't see. Is the one that usually gets you. No, so. no, no, definitely. I mean, I, I even saw some videos. That I think Shell Sonnen was saying that hmm, um, boxing is it no longer a proper sport or something or a real sport. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I mean. There's still a lot of respects from the mixed martial arts community for France and Ghani. I think he's what the first mixed martial arts athlete to actually successfully win a boxing fight or a boxing match with um a proper boxer. Yeah. I think. No, so he, yeah. He, well, he won, but he didn't win. Yeah, he 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 beat him, but he lost. What? How do you mean? What? Francis and Ghani. He lost. So that was his first fight. So he lost on points. Oh, you mean okay? You're saying well, you said the fight wasn't really that entertaining, so um, you believe that maybe France and Garni could have performed better himself. Oh no, it just I mean the whole fight itself. Maybe it just wasn't as um as entertaining as, as what I had expected. I thought they were yeah. gonna go at it more. You know what I mean? I thought Tyson Fury was gonna put more pressure on him and and box more, but he seemed to hold back a lot. Mm. But it was yeah, it was definitely it was a good fight. It was a good fight. No, it was unreal. Um. 
and Francis and Gano to be able to compete at that level is for first ever mm. boxing fights and absolutely unbelievable. Yes. So you can never anybody that fights, regardless of how it goes, you know, you, you shouldn't talk shit about them. I, I hate that. Like I hate when yeah. people are like, oh, they're shite and they can't fight. To get in there and try it yourself and see how yes. ready you know if that's if that's the case. So mm-hmm. respect to anybody that ever fights, regardless of what it is, you know, if you put yourself out there and and, and try to challenge yourself like that, you deserve respect for it. So yeah, unbelievable what he's done. But it just from a from a viewing standpoint, maybe just wasn't as entertaining as what I was kind of expecting. That's just all I'm saying. Guys, well, before I say guys, Yannick, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, definitely, definitely, we have to get you back on your uh, back on here soon. I'd like to pick your brains a bit more. Nice one, buddy. Thank you. Uh, Guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. The episode will be live on YouTube and on Spotify, iTunes, and on Google Podcasts, and a plethora of other of other audio platforms as well. Yannick, thank once again, thank you. Thanks so thank much, you. buddy. Take thank care. You.